Welcome to the Get Healthy Tampa Bay podcast, bringing all things health and wellness to the Tampa Bay community. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Reller, board certified family and obesity medicine physician. Please remember, while I am a doctor, I may not be your doctor. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not medical advice. Please seek out your physician for your specific needs. Here we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Healthy Tampa Bay podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Reller. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Ginny Gunn. Ginny, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? All right. I'm Ginny Gunn. I am a general surgeon with a specialty in breast cancer surgery. I do non-cancer breast operations as well, but the majority of my work, unfortunately, is for breast cancer. I am a Florida native. I went away for the military. I was in the Navy, go Navy, and undergrad in California. Then I came back to Florida for med school and residency. I completed my residency and surgery, general surgery at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, and I've been here since then. All right. You're kind of all over the place like me, and then you come back and We love Tampa. That's why we're here, right? So you specialize in breast health and do surgery for typical cases. Why don't we talk about when you should start checking your breasts or anything like that? Sure. So this is surprising that women don't do this, but at about 20, 25 years old is when we say you should get to know your own breasts. Do an exam, just feel around, go see a family practice, a physician, your OBGYN. Somebody, so you can start familiarizing yourself with your own breasts because you're going to see them far more than anyone else. And you would potentially be able to notice any changes, not mm-hmm. just lumps, bumps, but also the skin, the way the nipple or the areola are discharged. Is it normal? Is it not normal? But all of those things. Now, obviously, there are going to be some considerations if mom had breast cancer or your sister or somebody like that. Um, and definitely any first degree relative, your mother, your sister, you would want to see somebody potentially earlier and get that checked out. But, you know, about 20, 25 years old, you want to start with getting to know your own breasts. And then for the average female, we say at 40, we want to start with our once a year mammograms and seeing a practitioner, whether again, that's your OBGYN or your family practitioner for a clinical breast exam, a good thorough breast exam and imaging once a year starting at 40 for the average female. So those guidelines, I think, go along with the American Cancer Society, right? There are the United States Preventative Task Force guidelines, and those are different. Yes. So they say that every other year you can get mammograms, you know, from the American Society of Breast Surgeons, the American Academy of Radiologists, and American Cancer Society, we still recommend once a year, but the USPSTF did switch to biannual mammograms. And they also, I think, recommend starting at age 50, right? So I don't think that most clinicians go by the USPSTF guidelines. They go by the American Cancer Society guidelines and like you were saying, the breast surgeon guidelines. I think just even for being in clinical practice that we see changes on, you know, mammograms or anything like that. And things are caught within a year. So I think it's super important. I agree with you that I recommend every year and insurance covers it every year as well. So I really, really try to get my patients to do that. I totally agree. 
the self breast exam, I mean, I know you mentioned 20 and 25, but I have heard a little bit of controversy. Are there any negative things that you might encounter when recommending a self breast exam? Absolutely. And when I say breast health, it's not just a breast exam, but also the general appearance of the breast because we could notice skin changes or discharge or changes to the nipple. We could have a nipple that's retracted, which could be normal, but if it all of a sudden changes, that's not normal. So a self-breast exam is to familiarize yourself with the breast tissue. Now, one of the drawbacks and the reason that we kind of stepped back from recommending at least once a month in the shower, everybody should do their self-breast exam is because a lot of ladies are going to find something, especially young ladies. It's very common to find a pea-sized firm mass. And the first thing everybody unfortunately thinks is, is the ultimate, it's cancer, which can be very anxiety-provoking for a female. So that's when the shift changed from, we want you to do this every month to clinical breast exams by a, a trained practitioner is ultimately the better exam. We were seeing so many women, unfortunately, with these high anxiety levels because they had found something and immediately thought they had cancer. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen that in practice too, where they find something and then they get super worried about it. And then that leads to further testing and everything like that, which is fine because usually ultimately it gives a peace of mind, but it's increasing cost of care and things like that. But I think, I think you're right there. It's definitely important to get familiar anyway. So you mentioned a lot of, I guess, things in the breast exam that may come up. Is there any indication of when someone should seek further help if they find some of those things? Absolutely. So any change is worth mentioning with your family practitioner. Changes in the skin, skin that becomes thickened or reddened. We call that erythema. Changes in the skin anywhere on your body, just, you know, as you do a skin check or something that you should bring up if they're noticeable. If obviously you were outside and you got a sunburn or you were doing something in the yard and it's just a scrape, that's not worrisome. But if it's something that just all of a sudden happened or spontaneously happened that doesn't go away, that's when you should bring it up to your practitioner. And nipple discharge is another one that some mm-hmm. ladies don't bring up. I'm really surprised the more I talk to females about things that they just ignored. And it can be sad, you know, because it could be nothing, but they get scared mm-hmm. and I can understand that. But then they just don't bring it up to anybody so they don't get checked for a while. But masses, firm nodules, changes in the skin, changes in the nipple, areola, discharge, things like that. You should at least have a conversation with your family practice doctor and get a professional opinion. You mentioned the monthly breast exam. So can you speak of maybe the changes that might be occurring throughout the different hormone levels of the month? Absolutely. So in a premenopausal patient, you're going to have hormone fluctuations that cause changes in the consistency of the breast tissue. It's going to get thicker. You can have pain that you find is cyclical. So meaning if at the same time during your cycle every month, you experience these things, well, it's most likely hormone related, but nipple discharge is typically not related to your cyclical changes, but pain, swelling, tenderness of the nipple, that kind of stuff. If you notice that, try to see if you can record it in a diary and see any kind of association with the time during your cycle. I didn't ask you this before, but about breastfeeding, is there anything to be aware of? Like if there could still be changes that might be concerning if you're breastfeeding or even when you finish breastfeeding? 
Great question. And again, trying to tease out what's normal and not normal because you are going to see those fluctuations in the breast tissue, firm, painful. They can get hard. You can get mastitis, which is inflammation in the breast tissue during breastfeeding. Discharge, you're obviously lactating, (laughs) so you're going to discharge. But what's the color? What's the consistency? Is it bloody? Bloody nipple discharge, even during lactation, maybe normal once or twice, but really if it happens more frequently than that, you should get it checked. We can definitely see pregnancy-associated breast cancers. And that's not only during the pregnancy, but that's up to one year after. So you can have a pregnancy-associated breast cancer during pregnancy and the postpartum period or while lactating and breastfeeding. What are the recommendations if they're pregnant, like to have a mammogram or? Excellent question. So mammograms are absolutely safe during pregnancy. We can shield Mm -hmm. the fetus. The radiation dosing is so low that it's not considered a problem at all. It's actually routinely recommended during pregnancy to get your mammogram. We would avoid things like an MRI, which Mm -hmm. could potentially give us information, but the contrast dye that we use can cross the placenta. And so we don't use an MRI during pregnancy. Ultrasound is excellent modality as well. I mean, we use the ultrasound directly on the fetus. So the breast ultrasound Mm -hmm. is a great option. I was going to ask about all the different imaging modalities. So can you speak to the difference of those in case our listeners don't know the difference between all those imaging tests? Sure. So the mammogram, you can kind of think of like it's a basic x-ray of the breast. It gives us a good overall indication of breast tissue, breast health. That's the one we recommend for an average female to get once a year starting at 40. And that can show us changes such as calcifications and breast density, certainly masses, things like that. If a woman is younger, her breasts are going to be more dense. That's why we start out with breasts in one place and we end up at the end of our life with a breast in another. The consistency changes from a nice dense breast tissue to a more fatty replaced for most patients. And so if you have a very dense breast, sometimes that's hard. It's like taking an x-ray through a wall. You might not see all of the detail that you were looking for. So we have supplements to the standard mammogram, not only with variations on how we can administer a mammogram and tools that we can use, computer-aided diagnostics, for instance, but we can go into an ultrasound technology which can show us more detail in a different way, and it can penetrate that dense breast tissue. If we have a mass of something we felt, a lump, it can give us very good detail on size and characteristics of that mass and, again, can penetrate that dense breast tissue. And then we also have in our toolbox an MRI of the breast, which I have a love-hate relationship with the breast MRI. They are not routinely recommended for screening. A lot of women here are like, oh, I should do everything I can and I should get an MRI. Kind of goes back towards that self-breast exam. The MRIs are great at finding things, but what they Mm -hmm. find is not always cancer or anything that needs something done. But because we found it, now we're going to go poking and prodding and you're going to end up with biopsies that you didn't need necessarily. And uh, again, the anxiety piece. Mental health is so critical and to get an abnormal result is scary. And the time that you have to wait from when you found it to when you get a biopsy to when you find out the results of the biopsy, that's why the MRI is not a screening tool. The mammogram is our screening tool supplemented with ultrasound and MRI in the correct patient. What about the like 3D or 4D mammogram that some people want to get out right away? 
well, it kind of goes back to the, the fetal ultrasounds, right? Everybody wants mm-hmm. something really cool and neat, 3D, mm-hmm. 4D. In an appropriate patient, more information is good. But in the average patient, you don't need that additional detail. We do recommend in some patients some different techniques for doing the mammogram, tomosynthesis and computer-aided reading. All of those are good, but the average patient doesn't need specialized equipment. Yeah, I gotcha. Sometimes I get those patients where, like you were saying, younger, they have more of the dense breasts. Well, then maybe the mammogram saw something and they want the extra step, right? So first of all, they get anxious about that. The screening mammogram is covered by insurance, but sometimes then they say they get charged for the second one and they say, oh, I have dense breasts. I need to get the diagnostic mammogram and the ultrasound right away every single time. So when it's the first time I'm usually counseling them, okay, let's just see, they're just wanting more pictures to make sure it's nothing concerning. But then also when they come back over and over, they get concerned that, you know, I just want to get the diagnostic right away. So should I be ordering that diagnostic right away? Or should we go back to the screening? As far as right away, Overall, the answer I would give you is no. We do want to, if we find something, which is very common Mm -hmm. to find your baseline mammogram has something we need. It's kind of like how I describe looking at it from the sky in a helicopter, you know, or just looking overall for something to stand out at us. And then if we find something, we want to say, okay, well, what exactly is it? Give me more characteristics. And that's when we go to our diagnostic imaging, which is much more expensive. We had mentioned that piece too, but it gives us the characterization. And so depending on what that is, we would want to most likely follow it or look with diagnostic imaging, even if it looks benign or not cancer, not suspicious necessarily. Well, instead of waiting a year, maybe let's wait six months and look again, make sure it hasn't changed. So it's hard to say because certain characteristics, certain findings are far more comforting than others. And so they may not necessarily need documentation for stability. But in general, we typically do want about two years worth of documented stability if we find something that we're going to track along. And then after that, if it hasn't changed, it's no more worrisome than it was, then we can go back to just those screening mammograms. Gotcha. We start with the screening mammogram and you're saying it's common that they could find something. So that's typically when I say, let's say just one more pictures. It's common and we'll just see what happens from there. And then, yeah, the radiologist is going to recommend how soon to follow it up. Can you speak anything about when they say, okay, we found a little something. Now they want to get a biopsy of it. As far as what that looks like or... Just like maybe going through the procedure of it. Okay. So routinely, what we do now for biopsies is not surgery. We have much more less invasive needle biopsies. So the radiologist has seen something on your screening. Then we did diagnostics. We looked very closely. It's still something we want to tease out. Well, we need tissue that we can look at under the microscope to say, well, what is this? And still, again, going through the biopsy doesn't mean that you have cancer. It means that we need to know what we're dealing with. So you will come back to the radiology suite. Typically, they don't do it on the same day as your imaging. They'll call you and say, hey, we need to schedule a biopsy. Mm -hmm. And so you come in and it's typically with the same, whether that's an ultrasound, if they found this finding on ultrasound and they can use that. It could be that you need a, a mammogram to find it because you couldn't see it on ultrasound. So whatever they use to find it is similar to what they're going to use to locate it at the time of the biopsy. They will clean the skin, numb the skin, and then use a needle 
There are multiple devices, but it's essentially a thick gauge needle and penetrate the mass or the tissue, depending on what they found, and take multiple cores of tissue so that they can send it to the pathologist and look under the microscope to answer that question. Okay, now what is this? The site doesn't typically need to be closed with any sutures. They put some super glue essentially on the skin. Not many restrictions. You want to monitor for bleeding. Bruising is quite common. Some ice and ibuprofen or Tylenol, something like that. Most ladies don't need a bunch of pain medication. It's just kind of uncomfortable, but not necessarily described as overtly painful in general. Typically, it's a kind of more simple procedure then, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And they recover fine. Yeah. Yes. And then I think just, you know, once the pathologist looks at the cells and everything, then they give the doctor back the report, right? Correct. And that can take some time, which is, again, this anxiety piece. I can't mention it enough. You don't get results the same day, which is frustrating. And so then you're anxious and you're worried. And the pathologist will, at some point, usually with a a needle biopsy, depending on the facility, it's a couple of days, three days, maybe something like that. And then they'll render a report that goes to the ordering physician who will relay those findings to the patient. Some patients want to hear their results as fast as possible with a phone call. And other patients need that in-person conversation. And so I don't do pathology results the same way with every patient. I try to individualize that because it could be very devastating to, you know, maybe you're at work, maybe you're in some situation where getting results that are a cancer diagnosis may not be the best for you. And so I also tend to ask my patients, do you want me to call you? Do you want to come in as soon as I get some results so we can go over this? That's definitely an excellent approach because everybody is very different. Yes. I was going to see if you could dispel a myth. So I've heard or been told basically you should wait until you're done breastfeeding to start clinical mammograms if you're like at that age 40-ish or do they say delay it? I don't routinely see a bunch of OBGYN patients. So by the time they come to me, they've come with imaging, but I wouldn't hesitate to get a mammogram in a pregnant lady. You can, again, with the hormone fluctuations, you can see these breast cancers with pregnancy-associated breast cancer. Okay, Sometimes hard to see as much Mm -hmm. as we want to because of the lactation. But certainly if there's any concern, I wouldn't hesitate to get a mammogram in a pregnant or lactating female. Is there any other scope of breast health that you wanted to cover? Like, do you want to speak more on what you actually do? The majority of my cases are breast cancer. And I think Mm -hmm. one thing that I want to mention, because I've seen it frequently and especially recently, so you get that kind of bias in your mind. Mm -hmm. And, And not to scare anybody, but we are seeing breast cancer in younger patients. We don't have an answer for why. We don't have any good, other than finding it early, any good preventative recommendations. And I have seen patients who are in their 20s and 30s, and they were told by friends, family, even physicians, hey, you're too young to have breast cancer. Don't worry about this. And I don't like that trend. While it is uncommon, it is still real. And Mm -hmm. so I think you follow the same steps regardless. And so if you are concerned about something, bring it up. Do you want to speak on some of the risk factors of breast cancer? 
Sure. You know, so there's things that we can change, things that we can't change. Obviously, our genetics and hormone replacement. We know that most breast cancers are hormone driven estrogen. That's why females get breast cancer. It tends to be after 60, 55, 60, because we've had estrogen flowing through our veins for a very long time. So makes sense that if you increase your exogenous or if you take extra estrogen, you're at increased risk for breast cancer. You know, there's slight association with increased alcoholinity and things like that, but family history cannot ignored either. About 10% of breast cancer is related to genetics. We have excellent genetic testing these days. It's often fully covered. It's a saliva test, so it's not even painful. But if you have a strong family history, definitely want to get checked out and do that sooner. If you are found to have a genetic predisposition, um, it comes in multiple varieties. Everybody's heard about the BRCA or the BRCA Mm -hmm. genes. And so we have special recommendations for ladies who are found to have a BRCA mutation. And so that kind of just shifts everything to an earlier age and heavy, heavy surveillance for those ladies. Plus minus, you know, even a procedure to reduce the risk that you'd have of finding both in the breasts or ovaries. Right. I was going to mention, so typically with the BRCA, I'm not sure if it's one or two, but breast cancer and ovarian cancer are very much related. So if you're kind of doing a family tree or assessing your family history, you want to make sure you include ovarian cancer with any breast cancer diagnosis to see if you're at risk for that genetic components of breast cancer, right? Absolutely. And we've changed, you know, with more information becomes more knowledge. Mm-hmm. We have shifted who we offer genetic testing to. It used to be you know, go in and ask for it and be told, no, you don't need it. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Now we're offering it to more and more patients. Every patient with ovarian cancer should have genetic testing. And so in the past, maybe your mom or your grandma had it, but they never tested her. And so nobody else in the family ever got tested. So if you have a family history of ovarian cancer, you definitely want to bring that to your practitioner's attention. You can qualify for genetic testing just based on your family history. Is that, I mean, I'm just guessing, is that because ovarian cancer is a little bit more rare than breast mm-hmm. cancer? So you might as well, yeah, dig for all of that. Gotcha. Yeah. And the seriousness of, you know, ovarian cancer, ovarian cancer is unfortunately what it causes loss of life. Breast cancer, yeah. we've got 87% overall survival these days. We have excellent treatment. We've done a lot of research, but unfortunately for ovarian cancer, it's still a very real survival issue. Do you have any idea of how many people choose to get like a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy, like basically get breast removal if they get that BRCA or BRCA2 diagnosis? For my patient population, it's about 90% of females after 35, 40 will choose to do a bilateral prophylactic risk reduction mastectomy. It's a very high percentage. And it's indicated not just for BRCA, but We mentioned we do genetic testing for large Mm -hmm. panels of gene mutations, and there are some other genes that we would have that conversation as well. But a large percentage of the patients I see, once they have completed their childbearing, about 35, 40 years old is when they have elected to undergo bilateral mastectomy. Are there any cases where cancer could still occur? Cancer pants? Absolutely. So this is kind of one of the things that may not be apparent. We reduce your risk by about 90%, but there's always breast tissue left behind. You could always have a recurrence in scar or the skin. So while it significantly reduces the risk of a future breast cancer, it does not eliminate it. 
that's not just for the BRCA mutations, but that's even if you have a cancer diagnosis and you undergo mastectomy versus something more conservative, like a partial mastectomy or a lumpectomy, it still does not eliminate the risk that you'd have a future finding, but it significantly reduces. You mentioned something basic of, you know, the breast tissue may be left behind. Like, so where breast tissue can be found other places. So I just wondered if you could speak on that a little bit. Well, you can have extra mammary breast tissue, which the most common breast anomaly is actually an extra nipple, which could be anywhere. I've taken extra mammary nipple off of abdomens and after legs. <laughs> you know, they, oh, they, yeah, they, they're interesting. And behind them can be mammary tissue. You can have mammary tissue in your axilla. So we do try to scan all the way into the axilla or the underarm, essentially, and you can find extra mammary tissue there. Yeah, that's what I was hoping you would speak toward. Like it's all the way out, basically armpit, underarm area. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't expecting you to say that there was memory tissue in the leg. So that is definitely something I'm learning today. That is yeah. highly uncommon, but I did take that off once. Yeah. <laughs> that's one for the books. Anything else that you can think of that we should have our listeners know about? I think just, you know, be aware of your body, look for changes, bring them up. And then overall, just don't wait. If you mm-hmm. have a concern, bring it to somebody's attention. If it's, it often is just the saddest situation for me when I see a lady who felt something. And it, I've seen it from young to middle-aged to elderly, mostly the middle-aged and the young lady that felt something, thought it was nothing. They, they were scared, so they didn't mention it. And then, then by the time they come to me, there's not a lot that we can do with chemotherapy and salvage. Whereas, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But if you would have come to me two years ago, maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. And so just personally, I think that is hard. Yeah. So advocate for yourself. If you find something, speak about it Thanks. right away. Yeah. Right. So breast exams get clinical breast exams, screening mammograms, and don't be too anxious if you have to get more pictures. Yeah. Do your best. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There was something else I was going to add, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Pretty good in summary, I guess. But where can everybody find you? So I work for Women's Care Florida. I'm here in Pinellas County specifically. There are so many Women's Care facilities, but I'm here in Pinellas County specifically. And I mean, a Google search or Women's Care Florida, Dr. Gunn. And my primary office is on 66 over by Tyrone and operate a couple different hospitals here in South Pinellas, St. Anthony, Bayfront, Palms. Awesome. We will include all that information in our show notes. Anything else you'd like to say? Just thank you for the invitation. I hope everybody's uh, staying healthy. All right. Thanks everybody for listening again to the Get Healthy Tampa Bay podcast. And we'll hope you tune in next week. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Get Healthy Tampa Bay podcast sponsored by Clearwater Family Medicine and Allergy. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with your family and friends. We would also love it if you took the time to rate and review us on iTunes. See you next week.